firms that feel like this is the way to do it. That's the only way. And you're sort of, well, but what about this way? Or, you know, these are the people we work with. And it's like, but what about those ones? And so I think without noticing it over the years, actually that complete openness to so many different ways to solve things. There's so many different ways to approach it. And you're just always trying to figure out the right way, the best way, as opposed to assuming this is the one way. Every so often I find it really surprising. I sort of look and think, gosh, why are they so fixed? Hi, I'm Belden Mankus. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. The podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, I'm very pleased to welcome Dina McCallum, founding partner of Eden McCallum. Dina shares how their disruptive business model and open mindset has allowed them to pursue one core purpose over more than 20 years in the highly competitive yet very traditional management consulting industry. She also talks about how they combine top-down structured planning and bottom-up innovation to continuously improve their model and help make independent consulting an even more viable career for a wider range of people. Dina, welcome to The Purpose of Strategies. Really glad you could join us. I know I've been looking forward to having this conversation with you for a while. Maybe just to kind of get us into it, you could say both about yourself and your background, but also about Eden McCallum. Sure. Um, yeah, really thrilled to be doing this, Belden. So thank you. So I'm originally Canadian. I've lived in the UK now for nearly 30 years. I've spent most of my career as a management consultant in the 90s with McKinsey and then briefly as strategy director at Condé Nast and then set up Eden McCallum in 2000. So we've been going now for nearly 23 years. And Eden McCallum is a management consulting firm with a, a slightly different delivery model than traditional firms in that we work with hybrid teams. The um, sort of core of the team are independent consultants, a highly selected and carefully crafted team of independent consultants who are supported by our in-house analysts and associate consultants. And projects are led by the in-house Eden McCallum partners. So yeah, slightly different model. Um, we cover all sectors. We cover everything from strategy to transformation and have offices in the UK and the Netherlands. And roughly how big is it? How do you measure it? Yeah. So our pool of independent consultants is about 2,500. Wow. We've done well over 3,000 projects, heading up to 3,500, 4,000. So yeah. And that model when you started, was that the model you started with? And is that kind of why you started it? Well, so when we started it, it was really focused on independent consultants. So that was sort of the business model innovation or disruption. The co-founder and I, Leanne Eden, um, we had both come from McKinsey, so quite a traditional consulting model that, you know, all consultants employed. And we came up with this idea of having independent consultants deliver the work. And that was the beginning of the model. And then over time, we've added the analysts and associate consultants. So the teams have morphed to being hybrid teams rather than fully independent consulting teams. So if you had to describe a purpose for the organization, what would you say it was? So it's funny, we didn't set out to say, what's our purpose? We just set out to, you know, what's this company going to do in the world? And it was from the beginning, it was to make consulting better for clients and better for consultants. So the fundamental thing we try to do in the world is make consulting better for clients and better for consultants. And that's really been 
the principle we set it up with. Is that way of describing it the way it's been since the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. So how did you get to that? If you can remember back 20 years ago. Yeah, it's funny. We set it up during the dot-com boom and, you know, loads of people were setting up businesses of all sorts. And Leanne and I were sort of thinking about, you know, different things we might do. And, and someone said to us, well, you know, the thing you guys know really well is consulting. So, you know, if you want to set up a business, why don't you do it in consulting? And we thought about it. And this idea came to us that consulting in a traditional model is just quite a constrained thing for both clients and consultants. For clients, if you want really high caliber at that time in 2000, you have this you know big brand come in, usually quite a large team. It's in a set structure, a sort of pyramid structure of a team. The fees are pretty high. It runs at a certain pace, whether that pace suits your organization or not. You know, there weren't many degrees of freedom for clients to really tailor management consulting to what would work for them. And similarly for consultants, you know, it was quite a constrained thing. You joined as a junior. Most consulting firms, the top ones, have upper out policies. So you, you know, at each hurdle, you're either promoted or you're chucked out. And then as you get more senior, you judge not only on your delivery for clients, but also your ability to sell work. And so actually, if you're someone who's great at delivery, but doesn't really like doing biz dev, you you still get chucked out as you get to that partner level, because actually you're not doing the other side of the equation that you're required to do. And we just sort of thought about these constraints and thought, you know, surely there's a way to remove some of those so that actually clients get more of what they want and consultants get more of what they want. And we talked to a lot of our former clients and our former colleagues from McKinsey about these things. And the idea just sort of morphed. And we said, well, actually, what if we could give clients the experience of the consultants that they need? So really relevant experience, not people learning on the job. What if we could shape the team to be whatever they needed? Maybe that's a senior person part-time for six months, but maybe that's a full team of 10 people. But actually, what if we just shaped it to be whatever they needed? And then for consultants, what if we let them actually choose the projects they did rather than tell them, you know, you've got to go to Aberdeen for six months or whatever. We just let them choose the work that they would really be excited about. And we could do the biz dev and we could just let them focus on doing great work for clients, which is what they seem to really want to do. And so those were the things going through our mind. We just thought, actually, we can make consulting better for clients and better for consultants at the same time. They're just two sides of the same coin. And so we set up Eden McCallum and we haven't looked back since. As you've unpacked it, you know, a business model, have you found others have, maybe using the same business model, maybe using a different business model, been pursuing that purpose better for the clients, better for the consultants? Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know whether people have set it up with the same sort of purpose. I mean, there are loads of firms that have set up competing in different ways. So certainly we call them body shops or whatever, but there are loads of firms that effectively have a platform and independent consultants can sign up to be part of that. And a client can say, I need a manager for three months who knows something about consumer goods. I need a an analyst who can build me a model, the DCF model or whatever. So there are lots of businesses that do that. So they're using a similar business model, but I don't really know whether they've set up with such a clear purpose on what they're trying to do. Have you ever kind of gone back to revisit that purpose? Or is it when people come to you, they either buy into it and they stay as long as they stay or they don't? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, because it was there literally from the beginning, it's so ingrained in how we approach everything that people who don't buy into it just don't join us as a firm. 
it's just really core to who we are and what we do. You know, and the thing that we then try and do is just constantly improve that. You know, how can you make it better? It's not just this one business model innovation and that's that, but how do you keep making it better? So, you know, the addition of analysts and associate consultants is an example of that, where we started with only independent consultants, but we quickly found out that actually at that very junior end, you can't find them really in the independent market. So you either find people who are young and clever, but not trained. And if they have none of the training that you can't just pop them onto a team and have them be effective, or you find people who've been at one of the top firms and then maybe have worked at a, you know, a corporate or a startup or whatever, and then have popped out to be independent, but they don't want to go back to, you know, to the thing they did the day they graduated from university. So we just realized actually there was this sort of gap in being able to deliver well for clients because clients needed the analysis done. They needed the desk research. You need that analytical rigor to have confidence in a lot of the decision-making. And our more senior independent consultants didn't want to go back to building spreadsheets and that sort of thing. So the business evolved over time where we created an analyst program bit by bit. And we now have 30 to 35 analysts and ACs across our two offices who, you know, who do form that that base of almost every team we we provide. And you've used this term associate consultant. Okay, I just mean junior consultant. Someone's an analyst for two years and then they get promoted and we call them associate consultant. Uh, but yeah, you could just call them junior consultant. Okay, you're kind of building that career progression. What happens to an AC after they've been around for a few years? Can they just keep getting more senior and doing more interesting work? Or at some point, do you kind of kick them out of the nest and say, you have to be independent now? Uh, we kind of kick them out of the nest. Yeah. So again, that's one of those things. And we keep asking ourselves, what's the right thing, again, for our consultants, for our clients to do, um, and for our internal team? In a moment, I'll come back to that because it's an important part, actually, of the evolution of the sort of, of the purpose. But um, we've decided as a firm that we actually will not build the progression through to manager, a senior manager partner, because then we'll become a traditional firm and we'll have all of the constraints that we were trying to move away from. So the ones who come in and love consulting and want to have a career in consulting, um, usually at that point go into a traditional firm. So they, you know, they might go to a Bain or McKinsey or BCG. And then others enjoyed working with some of our clients and they might go work there or with a startup or something else. But we, you know, we're sticking quite firmly to the view that we won't start building that whole pyramid because it, you know, it will transform what we're doing and the flexibility we've built into the model. The one thing that's evolved on the purpose is because actually the internal organization has grown. So we're now, I think, 70 or 80 people internally, in addition to the independent consultants. And so, you know, part of that now is about really building an enduring and inspiring organization of outstanding people. So there's the better for clients and better for consultants, but it's also wanting to make sure that the internal team, you know, is feeling they're part of a, a really inspiring organization. It's a great place to work. I'm imagining that most of that internal team is kind of what I might describe as middle and back office. Yeah, so it's a few different things. So one, um, there's the the sort of middle and back office, so finance, HR, legal, those, you know, IT. There's a whole team that does the attraction, selection, and staffing of our independent consultants and actually our analysts. So we call it the talent team because it's both the independent resource and our analysts and ACs that they are staffing to produce the best hybrid team we can for our clients. And then we've got the client partners who are doing the biz dev and also overseeing the delivery of the work, ensuring that the team is delivering for our clients against what we said we would do for the project. And then you've got um, another group, which are these analysts and junior or associate consultants. 
What would you say your strategy is? I mean, we may already have been talking about it, but if you have a strategy separate from what we've been covering. Yeah, it's it's so overlapped with the purpose. So part of it is just to continually, you know, optimize and improve that model. That comes in different ways. Sometimes it's tiny tweaks on things and sometimes it's bigger moves like adding the analyst program. Another key one is trying to make sure that we're the preferred firm for independent consultants to work with. So I think one of the things we've realized is that as different companies have come into the market who provide an effective platform for independent consultants, that they have more and more choice with whom they work. And we want to be the preferred firm to work with. So if they've got a choice of two projects, they'll always choose ours. To deliver great results for your clients, you need the best consultants. And to have the best consultants, you need them to choose your projects over other ones they might get. So that's a really key part of the strategy. And again, there are lots of things that we try to do to ensure that we're the preferred firm for them to work with. And then another key plank of it is just to continue to build, in particular, our, our leadership team, that client development team. Because you know, one of the things we found is that you know this is a relationship and a word of mouth business. And so to grow the firm, you need to grow that senior business development, client development team. Um, and we put a lot of emphasis on that. And and because people have to really, you know, believe in this purpose and they have to be great at consulting, it's hard to grow that team. So we do focus a lot on that. More traditional firms grow that team by growing up from, you know, senior, et cetera. You know, they, they kind of grow up through the career, whereas yeah. you almost send them back out into the world somewhere. Exactly may have happened at some point, may happen that somebody comes with you, stays for a while, leaves, comes back later on. But you're sort of, for the most part, I think, finding other people. That's interesting. I'm just going to say, we call it Hotel California that you can check out, but you can never leave. <laughs> there are some that we're trying to recruit back to come in at the partner level because they've progressed to that point, or we may hire them as part of our core team or as part of our talent team. Once they're sort of in that world, we think it's really important to just stay in touch. It's part of that flexibility is people who are terrific and who sort of believe in this thing, we want to work with them in whatever way we can. We're not sort of fixed in the one way we can work with people. And so if the strategy is to kind of keep getting better, be the preferred, how does that come about? It sounds like you're a fairly untraditional consulting firm. Do you have a traditional strategic planning process? Is it a bit more startup-y? Somebody had a great idea. We had a look at it. How does all that work? It's a bit of both. You know, each year we go through and sort of do a, a bit of a, wouldn't call it a formal strategic plan, but it's very much, you know, think about, we go back to the purpose and mission and connect that to our strategic priorities. And then we think about each of those and what are we going to do over the next year in terms of strategic initiatives against those to keep moving them forward. So what are we going to do to keep improving the model? What are we doing to be the preferred firm? What are we doing to grow our leadership team? What are we doing to make sure it's an outstanding and an inspiring organization for the internal team? We'll do that. And then people will sign up to it and say, okay, fine, I'll lead this. You know, we've just agreed to do this thing and next year and people will sign up to it. And as a partner group, we then meet and sort of update each other on progress and that sort of thing. So that's a, you know, a fairly standard, probably formal sort of thing. And then there are other things that just kind of pop up and people just get excited about them and sort of experiment with them. And then they go well and they stick and they grow and then it just keeps going. And the analyst program was an example of that. We had, I think it was a client actually said to us, my godson or whatever is really interested in consulting and is looking at doing something in the summer. And 
do you think he might be able to work at Eden McCallum? We thought, oh, don't know, but we'll give that a try. You know, super talented, Oxford in his third year or something. And actually, we, we sort of had this person join and it was amazing how, you know, it was just really a great help to teams to have this person there. And then we sort of thought, well, actually, you know, should we try a few more next summer? And so we added and, you know, made that a bit bigger. And then we thought, well, they need a little bit of training. And so this thing just kind of morphed. And then then we started doing formal recruiting and more and more formal training. And I think in the UK last year, this just past year, so 2023, we had um, about 630 applicants for six places. So this little experiment over eight years grew from just a random, let's give it a go to, yeah, to quite a big program. And it also sounds like you've somehow managed to do something that I think a lot of organizations of almost any size struggle with, which is to to have both that kind of backbone, rhythm, whatever you want to call it, you know, a bit more structured, a bit more thought through, and at the same time, the more responsive, experimental. Is there anything you could point to that to you feels like the magic of how you're able to actually make those two fit together? Well, you know, I think in part, it's that fortunate thing of the way you start, um, because we started with just the second of those. We just started with the less formal and people just having ideas and trying ideas. And then when they seem to be getting traction, getting the backing of the broader group and moving it forward. And so that sort of keeps going because it's just a bit in our DNA. And then we've imposed as we've got bigger, this more formal thing of actually, if the scarcest resource in the firm is the time of the senior partners, where are we actually spending that time? And if we are going to make any investments outside of that, where is that going? And so that's the formal sort of strategic planning bit and looking at the strategic initiatives against what we're trying to achieve as a firm and setting those. And, you know, I think that combination for now sort of works because the things that come from the ad hoc are quite interesting. And and sometimes when you plan things too formally, you miss those little things that as a nugget of an idea may not have had much in the way of legs, but when you start trying it and improving it as you go, you actually end up with something really powerful. I've seen a lot of organizations, particularly over the last 10 years, maybe just get so focused on efficiency and cost and an idea like that comes along and people want to do something with it, but they just don't, at least they feel they just don't have the time to do it. It's like lots of seeds get planted, few seeds get watered. Yeah. I, mean, I think in part, you know, is is exactly to avoid that, to avoid that when something is sort of a half-baked idea, it's too easy to shoot it down. And actually, if someone has the energy to really try to test it, you know, why not do that? You know, as long as it's not impacting the other things they're doing. But I think when talented people that you trust have energy around something, you let them go and develop it. So another example is, um, you know, we have really over the past few years put sustainability at the core of what we're doing. An Inconvenient Truth came out as a movie looking at the whole climate change issue. Leanne and I were just, you know, just looked at it and thought, oh my gosh, this is a huge issue. And so we screened An Inconvenient Truth for our clients. We invited them to come and just, we hosted a screening of it, you know, whatever that was, 15, 20 years ago, I can't remember. And we started doing things as a firm, but we didn't really think of it as our sustainability strategy because no one back then talked about a sustainability strategy. And then... um Recently, Leanne sort of just picked up the mantle and said, actually, we do so many things now. You know, our model is really sustainable because we're not 
moving consultants around the world all the time. You know, we don't have huge offices that consume tons of energy because people just mostly work from home or from the client site. And so she started to piece those things together. And now we actually have a sustainability strategy. We measure our missions. We have all sorts of things in place as a firm to ensure that we are a net zero firm, which we are. And it's been super exciting for everyone in the firm to realize actually how green we are, and then to focus on the things, if there are areas where we're not as green as we want to be, how do we do that? And then broader than just the environment, but how do we make sure we have broad diversity? Most of the firms you look at and their leadership teams are 80% male, 20% female, and we're pretty much 50-50 the whole way. It's just who we are and how we started. But actually, again, it's part of our sustainability strategy is A, to recognize that and be you know, excited and celebrate that, but B, to say, well, where could we be even better? Are we as open to people from disadvantaged backgrounds? It's, you know, we're all very comfortable recruiting from Oxbridge, but actually, are we missing super talented people, um, either in our internal team or in our pool of consultants? So yeah, it's come from being a smattering of things to a very big focus of the firm and something we're all super proud of. Just coming back to something you mentioned, if I remember right, you're located in London and in the Netherlands. How'd you get to two locations and what's sort of the plan from here? Yeah, so, I mean, we always set out to be a global firm. We just thought if we're going to make consulting better for clients and better for consultants, then we should be as big as we can because then that's more impact and that's a good thing. I guess it was around 2006, seven, we felt we were strong enough in the UK and had a big enough leadership team that we could start thinking about international expansion, having set up in 2000. We actually hired one of our independent consultants to do a bit of an international expansion strategy for us. We came up with a bunch of markets that we thought could be interesting. So that included the Netherlands, Germany, Scandinavia, and then America is a big sort of question mark of yes, big, but more challenging. And so we decided that Europe would be the next one just because logistically it's so much easier. And obviously people could, certainly at the time, could work across all those markets, et cetera. Um, but we were a bit indifferent as to where that happened first because they were all interesting and we wanted to be in all of them. We happened to meet two um, fabulous women who were also ex-McKinsey in Amsterdam and who were really excited about the firm and what we were trying to do. And so we ended up opening there first. So at one level strategic in terms of where were the markets we wanted to look at. And then on the other hand, absolutely opportunistic because, you know, we'd been interviewing people in Germany as well and looking there. And we just happened to find two terrific people who happened to be women in the Netherlands. And so that's where we went next. Then we started to move to, okay, so Germany or Dach next. We opened up there in 2014. And actually it was a lot tougher than we thought. You know, there were competitors in the market, fairly conservative culture. So, you know, to be accepted as a brand takes a really long time. So the buildup on revenue takes a long time. And we also were looking at it saying, actually, why do we need physical presence? You know, we had built up this fabulous German speaking pool of consultants from Germany, Austria, and Switzerland. You know, for example, in the UK, loads of PE firms who have portfolio companies in Germany, we didn't need a Swiss office to serve them. So we actually just decided we just don't need a physical presence. And then COVID was the next stage. And we realized that our teams, our remote teams, because everyone was working remotely, could come from anywhere. 
And again, we just didn't need physical presence in different cities. So the sort of revision of our view then in terms of the the world domination is that um, we can probably go there without actually planting lots of flags. And it feels also more consistent with, you know, with who we are as a firm, that this is about flexibility and agility. And why would we put in loads of fixed costs and fixed flags when actually it's about recruiting the best independent consultants wherever they may be? And bringing together the teams that bring the you know the best to bear for each client in that situation wherever they may be. Have you ever thought of merging or acquiring, or is it either there's no point or the risks to our culture and our kind of way of being would be too great? I, I guess again for us that because of the whole flexibility thing, it's sort of why would you buy something? Why not just partner with it? Or if we think it's interesting, build that as a capability in the pool. So, for example, Dane Analytics, we're doing both of those things. So we don't feel the need to buy a firm, but we built up the capabilities in our talent pool. So we have consultants who have really strong data analytics backgrounds. But then for specific sectors, we also have firms that we can partner with. So if we need really deep retail data analytics expertise or telco or whatever it might be, we have firms that we can partner with. Again, for now, that just feels more consistent with who we are. We bring the best to bear for clients. So instead of just having one data analytics source that may or may not be suited to their situation, their industry, we can always pick the best one for them. The people in our pool, so our independent consultants, there are many of them who've done literally dozens of projects with us. So they are independent in the sense they can say yes or no to any project we offer. We love working with them. They love working with us. And so we choose to work together again and again and again. I would say, actually, we probably have a closer relationship to a lot of those people on a personal level than often firms actually do. We know when their kids are doing GCSEs and A-levels, and we know where they're planning their next holiday. We know that they want to take some time off because they've always wanted to do a master's in wine course, and now they're going to do it, or they've always wanted a puppy. And we feel that way about our clients, too. We're collaborating. We're trying to get the best result for you together, and that can take all sorts of different forms. But Actually, we're solving this together rather than we're telling you what you should do. As you've been on this journey, this might be a question about the last 20 some odd years, or it might be a question about the last couple of years. What surprised you most as you've sort of been learning and developing this purposeful strategy? Gosh, there are so many different things. I mean, one of the things that's interesting, um, because every so often we try to partner with a traditional firm. You know, they'll approach us because they, you know, need to bring certain resources onto a team that they can't easily access or, you know, they need more flexibility on a team than their model can provide. So, and one of the things I I guess I think we hadn't realized because we become more and more and more flexible in a sense. And so when we then look at traditional firms, even from where we started, those constraints feel so much more noticeable and, and salient. Firms that feel like this is the way to do it. That's the only way. And you're sort of, well, but what about this way? Or, you know, these are the people we work with. And it's like, but what about those ones? And so I think without noticing it over the years, actually that complete openness to so many different ways to solve things. There's so many different ways to approach it. And you're just always trying to figure out the right way, the best way, as opposed to assuming this is the one way. Every so often I find it really surprising. I sort of look and think, gosh, why are they so fixed? Yeah, so I guess that's one of the observations of something that surprised me a lot. Yeah. And what would you say has been the most difficult part 
that might be personally difficult for you or difficult for the organization. But what's been the most difficult part? I suppose the most difficult parts are when situations arise and there are those conflicting views and it feels as though, I guess because Leanne and I are so clear on this purpose and that it's so much more important than than profit. I mean, profit follows, right? If you do great work for clients and you treat consultants well, it just follows, but you don't have to fixate on it. And so we're so in that view. And, you know, over the years, as new people join the firm and whatever, even though, again, they need to buy into that purpose to join us, but the balance between that and, you know, I guess shareholder value, which is effectively partner value, you know, it, for different people, it shifts to different places. And I guess that's for me one of the most difficult things because I, I mean, I do understand everyone needs to earn a living and, and, you know, and all of those things. And that's not a bad thing, you know, being profitable and you need that to survive and thrive as a firm. But I think for me and Leanne, because of how it was set up, it was so far on one way. And that as we grow and new people join the firm and have a different view on the balance of those things, that's probably one of the most challenging. Where do you make those trade offs where actually sometimes profitability has to be a bit higher up the agenda than we might have actually chosen it to be. And you've, you've mentioned, Leanne, a, a couple of times, I assume you founded it together. Dual leadership in organizations sometimes is marvelous and sometimes has its challenges, let's put it that way. How have you found navigating that? And you know what, over 23 years, it's been both of those things, right? I think we both say we couldn't have done it without each other. We have similar values and there are certain things that are really there in common, which I think you need to, you know, to set up a firm, but also to run it together for that many years. And then there are ways that we're different and we have complementary skills. And again, we, you know, recognizing that and letting each other do the things that we're each suited to has been a great thing. And of course, you know, you're not going to agree on everything over the years. And so obviously there are times when actually have fundamentally different views and the more or that is to the business, the harder it is to navigate. But so far, we've navigated through them. And, you know, as I said, we, there's no way we could have done this thing on our own. It's definitely been a, a joint enterprise. And, you know, what? when sometimes it gets a bit tough, actually, it's fabulous having someone else, you know, who's there to, to buoy you up. And, you know, people talk about the CEO being a lonely role or whatever. But actually, when you've got someone else there to help, you know, that you can really confide in, whatever it is about, that's quite a nice thing. How would you say you've changed during as you've been wrestling with all these, you know, sort of trying to keep the strategy going and trade-offs between profit and purpose and all that. How have you changed and developed? It's a really good question. I guess part of it is that piece of just trying to understand different perspectives, for example, the balance between purpose and profit, which, again, you hope that they're perfectly aligned, but sometimes they're not perfectly aligned. It's just understanding that people can have a different view on that. You know, it's not a bad thing. It's not a, you know, they haven't, they don't believe in the firm. It's just actually people in life have different views of how they make decisions and how they prioritize things. And that's okay. And if the firm's going to grow, you have to be able to accept a broader view of that. And how do you accommodate that? And how do you stay true to what the core of the firm is? but start to accept a broader set of views and opinions on some of those very fundamental questions. Again, it's different, you know, minor questions, but some of those very fundamental things. And I think that's been, you know, quite a journey, especially over the past 10 years as the firm has, has added more and more people. One of the, the things I think that, that people often forget, but it's been a thread through the 
chunk of what you've said is diversity is great. But if it's going to mean anything, it means diversity of thought, diversity. Of, and that can be really wearing sometimes. No, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Sometimes in a team, you'll see that friction where, you know, people are problem solving in a certain way and somebody else coming at a different way and actually just surfacing it and going, guys, you're looking at those different ways. And that's a good thing. I know it's irritating. I know it's taking up a bit more of everyone's time. But actually, it's a good thing, and here's why, and you're going to get to a better answer, so let's just keep working through this. Why are you seeing it this way? Why are you seeing it that way? Why do you want to approach it this way? And let's find the core, the nugget, you know, underlying those things rather than just staying on the surface. And the core thing driving it is really important, and let's make sure that's part of the way we approach this. So for me, one of the biggest things has been that it goes back and forth because teams are just a little microcosm, aren't they? Have a project team is a microcosm of a leadership team or a firm or whatever. And I think having that perspective that diversity is great and it is definitely sometimes very painful and irritating, but it's really important to get through that and recognize the benefits and keep going. Absolutely. Um, if you had some advice to a business leader who was wrestling with their own organization's purpose and strategy, what would it be? I think from my perspective, it is just stay true to your purpose. You have to keep following what you're there for. And it doesn't mean you ignore the other things, but you know, you unpick them to understand, well, what what really is the implication of that decision? And is it actually contradicting my purpose? Or is it just you know, a small thing that is an add-on or whatever. But when we're looking at decisions we're making and whether that's around cost or investment or um, where we spend time or any of those things, it's just, you know, we keep coming back to, are we making consulting better for clients? Are we making it better for consultants? Are we creating an outstanding and inspiring organization for our people? Are we really developing our people properly or aren't we? Are we really giving our consultants the best projects and the opportunity to shine and and anything that pulls you away from that you just have to really question it but why would we do that it may be a bit cheaper it may be a bit faster it may be whatever but actually why would we do it and if you can't find a really good reason you know you just keep coming back to that path that you go on it's about who you are as a person and as a leader i mean you know people will often say to us it's really interesting. You've got this networked firm. So most of the people you work with aren't actually your employees. And yet we can feel it as clients, as consultants, as suppliers, as anything that this is an incredibly values driven firm. You know, so how do you make values and culture permeate to hundreds of people that actually you don't employ? But again, I think if you've got that clarity of purpose and mission, I mean, you know, purpose and mission kind of blur for me a little bit. But anyway, but if you've got that, then actually it does run through everything you do. And so the culture runs through it and the values that underpin it run through that, you know, the striving for excellence, the striving for constant improvement, the working collaboratively as a team, you know, those things run through it. And it's a more enduring sort of way to run an organization. In fact, just as you were saying that, the question that came up in my mind is, why do people put so much emphasis on whether somebody's an employee or not? And I'm sure you're so far past that question. Yeah. Again, that, and that's an example of this thing, but you know, when you said, what were you most surprised by? So our thinking has moved, but you don't notice it because it just evolves over the years. Mm. But actually, you know, the, the two, three, 400 consultants amongst the 2,500 that we work with a lot, 
just doesn't matter to me at all whether their employees are independent. I don't think it matters to them either. You know, they know they've got a close relationship with us. We have a close relationship with them. We all know what we're trying to do every time a project comes up and we just, boom, go and do it. So I'm not sure what the value of an employee relationship or contract is, actually. Yeah. Um, what haven't we talked about that we ought to touch on? What haven't I asked you about that you wish I had? I was reflecting on, you know, what are the things that I'm sort of most proud of that we've done over the 23 years and, you know, as related in particular to the purpose and strategy. And, you know, when I reflect on that, it's making this independent consulting thing a viable career and what that's given a lot of people. And, you know, it's everything from, you know, someone saying, you know, who has a developmentally challenged child to saying, I I could never have had a stimulating high impact career and given my child the attention they needed if Eden McCallum hadn't existed. And that's just one of those moments you go, oh, wow. You know, and I'm not saying it's just Eden McCallum. I mean, obviously now there are tons of competitors, that, you know, there are lots of other players who are doing this. But when we started it, it wasn't an established idea at all. It was sort of this crazy idea that we came up with that you could deliver projects without employing the consultants. And, um, and knowing that actually we've made all sorts of different lives possible, different careers possible, and given people the ability to set their own parameters, make their own choices, and craft something that is both stimulating intellectually, high impact for clients, which is really satisfying, well rewarded financially, but lets them make the choices in the rest of their life as well. I mean, that's, yeah, I guess that's the thing I probably feel most proud of over the past 23 years. Mm-hmm. You know, for clients, it means they're getting people who are absolutely committed to that project. They've chosen to do each project. No one has assigned them to it. So you just get this sort of hyper commitment from that. And you also get people who are interested in your company, your sector, the issues, because again, they chose to do that. So they've got tons of skills and experience related to it, and they're the best people to do it. And, you know, we're also giving clients a choice. It's letting them craft the project and the team suit what they genuinely need, not our economics, not our training model, not our thing. It's what they need. So I think the flexibility and control thing really hits both sides. Mm -hmm. And we start with the view of anything can work. Let's just try and figure out how. So, I mean, we've got someone on our team who's ended up moving to Yorkshire and She's fabulous. And so it was that open view of, okay, well, how do we make that work? So not no, but let's figure out how we can. And we can't say yes to everything. I mean, at the end of the day, a firm has its needs of how to function and whatever. So it's not that it's a yes to everything, but it's just an openness to let's solve this creatively together. I like that. Those last few words there, let's solve this creatively together. Sounds to me like a great note to end on. I knew this was going to be a fantastic conversation, and I'm really so glad you could join us here. It's been really enjoyable chatting. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, thank you, Ben. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Please email any questions or suggestions to belden at mancus.com. In addition to being available on our website, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, we release a new episode weekly. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist.